Hey there, folks. I'm back. It's Joe Public. You're listening to the Public Record here on Radio Nope. Uh, yeah, I had to take a had to take a sabbatical last week again. Sorry, because I already keep doing that. You know, life and stuff. Although, so I got some cool feedback because, like, uh, one of my uh, year shows that I did a year ago was the rerun, and I got some cool feedback from a couple of people about um, how good it was. So I thought, you know what? There's a lot more material to cover there. Plus, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this weekend. Um, Somebody I went to high school with, but who's a few years older than I am. About how different the experience was for him, as opposed to the experience for me, um, going to the same high school, like going through the same teachers, same administration, everything, just simply because... I started high school in 1981, and he graduated in 1980. Well, no, 81, right. He graduated in 81, I st- or 82, I started in 81. I'm sort of like confusing this. He graduated <laughs> in 81. I started high school in 1980. And um, the difference between his experience of, of his high school years being you know, from like 1977 to 1981 and mine being 1980 to 85, just really weird, weird, weird difference, right? So, uh, or 81 to 85. Anyway, you get what I'm getting at. The 70s, the 80s were really different. And there's this one year that sits astride uh, both decades in uh, more ways than one. And that year is 1980. So tonight... I shall be doing 1980. Um, and apropos of uh, nothing other than the fact that I was reading about Neil Peart's, um favorite book list today and adding it, of course, to my to-be-read list on Goodreads because, well, the stuff I hadn't already read. Um, apropos of nothing at all except that, uh, I decided I was going to start with uh, some Rush. So here we go. <laughs>
I had so many questions uh, as a kid. Okay, listening to music, and uh, that Billy Joel song was like a monster hit, right? This was like one of the biggest hits of the year in 1980. Um, no doubt, no doubt about that. That whole album was huge, right? And I had so many questions. Like I liked Billy Joel since I was like ten. Nine, ten years old, like piano man type stuff. I, I, I just liked his songwriting as a kid. I got really fed up with him uh, from like 1980 to 1983 when basically he was he was Phil Collins before Phil Collins was Phil Collins. That's kind of the way I would put it. Um, you you couldn't get away from him, and also uh, the the man has a um, he is. He is photogenic enough to be a radio star. I will, I will put it that way. <laughs> Another way in which he he was Phil Collins before he before there was Phil Collins. Anyway, so that song, like me being the guy who paid attention to stuff that wasn't always the like number one hit in the world. The song prior to that, by the Babies, Midnight Rendezvous, the riff is eerily similar to the riff and you may be right like they're so close you're thinking somebody was punking somebody else and the baby's track came out first so yeah there you go um the okay so the other thing about both that track and the and the baby's track um they're indicative of the influence of um, punk and new wave 
on uh, mainstream rock music. Like, well, Billy Joel basically, you know, he, he, he owned the fact, yeah, his record label told him to make a record that had an edge to it that was sort of like uh, New Wave. And so he did because he's a craftsman and you, you tell the, tell a craftsman to do something, he's going to do it. Right. So he did it, um, and had huge hits with it. And, uh, his hardcore old school fans went at him, but the entire rest of the world went, take my money. Um, and that baby's track was not a hundred percent in keeping with what they'd done previously and that's that's um accounted for by a couple of things one being that pressure throughout the music industry to like you know be current sound like the the kids kind of thing uh even though babies weren't old dudes but it's also you can also account for it by the fact that that was the record where jonathan kane joined the babies um and and he was a guy who was like a music industry ringer. Like everybody knew he could write songs, he could play keyboards, he could play the guitar, he could sing. Um, so you bring him into the band, and and suddenly you've got an oomph, you got to help, right? So interestingly enough, so the track I played before that, "Journey Where Were You," off of Departure, which was the final album that Greg Raleigh appeared on, playing keyboards and and singing backing vocals for Journey. Um, Greg Raleigh, the story goes, uh, quit journey because he said, I, my style of what I do does not suit modern music. And you, you guys need to pursue what's possible, uh, in this new, you know, this new climate, you have a chance, you can do this. And I know a guy, um, who can take over my job. And that guy was Jonathan Kane, And so it's kind of funny. It's like the baby's combusted. Like the baby's made, put out two records in 1980. Um, the, the one with Midnight Rendezvous. And then there's another record that had some like ballady stuff on there. Um, and, but it just didn't catch. It did, didn't click like minor hit kind of thing, you know? So Jonathan Kane, you know, jumps ship and he goes and joins journey and, uh, they, um, do don't stop believing, etc., etc. That whole escape album that you know conquered the airwaves, um, did not ingratiate them to anybody. Like they became the face of corporate rock. Like if Sticks had been the face of corporate rock prior to that, Journey took over. Like Sticks and Foreigner, and then like Journey. Like nope, nope, we're, we'll wear the mantle, kind of thing. Anyway, prior to that, started the set off with Rush with Free Will, which is just a great freaking song. And and as I said at the top, um, I was reading an article today about um, Neil Peart's uh, top novels, top book list. Um, and I took a section of the day and I added anything I hadn't already read um, into my I want to read list on Goodreads. So... I, I, I have no nowhere near enough life left in me to read all of this stuff. I mean, the guy was unbelievably re- well-read. And you get that. So not a lot of people know this. I mean, Rush fans know Neil Peart wrote their lyrics, um, which is odd. You know, drummers, drummer, lyricist. Most people don't equate lyrics with drumming. But he did. Um, 
And he was fearsomely well-read, and that translated into a wide breadth of stuff that he tackled in the lyrics of his songs. Um, everything from Mark Twain to Ayn Rand, you know, he, he was he was all he he was able to absorb and synthesize and play with the ideas in anything he read. Um, so, yeah, massive loss to music uh, when he died a few years back. But anyway great song and i just you know 1980 was a banner year for music you know i i have uh the curmudgeon in me says you know gets into these arguments with people that that contemporary music is truly truly bereft of the level of greatness that occurred previously and that totally sounds like an old guy standing on his porch going you kids get off my lawn and I don't mean it that way at all. I don't mean to say there's no great music coming out. There is great music being made right now. There's stuff being released all the time that's fantastic. But if you go and you look at uh, the records that were released in 1980, you just read the list. It will break your brain. You, you will be astonished by the depth of amazing and awesome that came out uh that year and not all of it was like super popular some of it's stuff that was really influential later on or you know like laid the seeds of other stuff which is i guess what influential means um but yeah it was it was a a banner year and like i was saying i was i was sitting with a friend this weekend on our, our annual like family camping trip and i'm sitting with a friend and we're talking about our experiences of how like he's on one side of the 1980 fence and i'm on the other side of the 1980 fence um in my experience in high school and he's on the side of the fence where like he's exiting the building at the end of that era and I'm entering the building and it, it it's 1980-81 is really trippy because there's this cross-pollination that happens between mainstream rock and new wave and punk rock um there is the there's the death of progressive rock which you know most folks most folks my age don't even realize that in in the late 1970s the biggest drawing concert act in the world and the and one of the biggest selling record selling artists in the world was emerson lake and palmer um i like emerson lake and palmer i know why people don't um i know why people became uh agitated and and wanted them to go away um i mean they're sort of like they're like the nickelback of their era almost like they were beloved by a whole bunch of people for a few years and then hated just hated they're they're a punchline to a joke they go from most popular band in the in in the world to punchline to a joke which is so sad for the people who were in that band um but also completely understandable you know that's that's the funny thing again like 1980s that 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 fence line that sits between that earlier era and what came after and so anyway what i want to do now is i'm gonna i'm gonna play a thing from uh that started to lean heavily onto the other side of the fence and this is split ends (laughs) 
Which internet radio station has the guts to break all the rules of radio and put a plus of P at the end of their name? Radio Nope.
Don't tell me no. From the Panorama album. So the Cars had a impressive run. So their debut album is basically a greatest hits record. Um, you know, Best Friends Girl, um, You're All I've Got Tonight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 hard to find a song on that album that isn't iconic and and worthy of just you know being in awe of it. And then Candio, which um had a couple hits off of it, but it was it you know was received like okay, well maybe this is a more mature sophomore effort kind of thing, but it was it was a phenomenal record. It was record where like if you listen to it beginning to end, you're just like, "Whoa, that's that's an incredible album." It's it's an album. Whereas like the Cars debut record is kind of like a collection of songs um Candio is an album in in the sense of like you know a Sgt. Pepper or you know other records other albums that are a full body of work unto themselves. Um, it's not about individual songs; it's about the aggregation of the songs and the, the 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 path that you take, the journey you take while listening to them. Wow, that sounds super pretentious. Um, <laughs> so Panorama comes out, and Panorama is kind of. It's difficult. It's a difficult record. There's a couple of songs on there that got um, got some airplay. That one that I played, Don't Tell Me No. Um, but mostly the uh, general public kind of went, meh. Um, you know, and it caused a reaction, right, within the band and, and a retrenchment. And then you get Shake It Up after that, which is Candy Floss. It's, it's an album of Candy Floss. It's fun Candy Floss, but it's Candy Floss. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's kind of funny, like the Cars, people don't really associate them with being a 70s band, but they were a 70s band who had a hard time moving into the 80s. And, and then once they got into the 80s, they, they figured it out and they kind of ruled for a little while and then they disappeared. Uh, XTC before that with Generals and Majors, and I played that song, not just because the record came out in uh, the Black Sea, is the name of the album, came out in 1980, but also because on the previous track by Peter Gabriel, I don't remember, the guitar is played by Dave Gregory, 
the guitar player, lead guitar player in XTC. Yeah, it's funny how these things get cross-pollinated. Um, and that Peter Gabriel track was from his third solo album. So um, he actually didn't give a title to any of his albums until his fifth solo album. All four of his first four solo albums are just titled Peter Gabriel. Um, the record company stuck a sticker on the fourth one that said security. Um, he apparently was really pissed about that. Uh, but then, you know, when it, you know, it came time to make album number five, um, he acceded to the record label's insistence that he give it a title so that people could tell which one to buy. <laughs> he, he gave in to commercialism and capitalism a little bit. Before that was Split Ends with Nobody Takes Me Seriously from the True Colors record. True Colors, okay, funny like personal selby story that's my real last name by the way i'm not actually joe public but personal selby story here um split ends true colors was among a set of probably the first 20 or 30 albums that i bought and the um the original vinyl of that was laser etched um i would maybe give a tooth if I still had my original copy that was laser etched, it was laser etched with a virgin version of the geometric, uh, artwork that was on the cover of the record, um, on the jacket. Um, and it was awesome. And it was one of those things of like, you took it out of the package and you slid it out and like, you'd never, you didn't listen to it. You just stared at it and went, wow. Um, but I bought that record because they um, they popped up. There was like this, this before MTV, there was this like um, in the Bay Area, there was this independent TV station, uh, KOFY, Channel 20, um, that was started by a guy named Jim Gabbert. And it, he, he was a rich dude who decided he wanted to own a TV station, um, from what I understand. And he started this TV station. He didn't have enough money to actually create programming uh, or pay for syndicated programming. And so he just cobbled stuff together. It was like the best produced cable access channel ever. And uh, somewhere along the line, somebody at KOFY figured out that um, record companies were releasing these promotional videos, music videos. Um, and they basically like... Uh, little commercials for bands and record records that, that had been released and that the record companies would give you these videos for free if you just ask for them and said, yeah, we'll put them on the air. Uh, and so Saturday night, uh, late at night, like 10, 11 o'clock at night, uh, Channel 20 in the Bay Area would show music videos. And this is, like I said, long before MTV and they didn't have a host. They just played and, and they didn't really program it. So like I remember seeing like five Stranglers videos in a row and seeing three XTC videos in a row and then seeing like four split ends videos. And I saw this four split ends videos and I went, oh my God, this is so cool. And I like counted my pennies and I went to Berkeley and I bought the record. Um, and 
and it's a great record. And the thing about Split Ends is that prior to this record, um, the leader of the band had been a guy named Tim Finn. And the band had kind of been uh, New Zealand's answer to Roxy music. And so they were quirky and arty and weird. Um, and Tim's younger brother, Neil, joins the band um, on guitar and also vocals. And he brings in this whole like uh, new wave pop sensibility and with all these songs that he'd written. And that's how we get that True Colors album. Um, Neil Finn went on, of course, to start Crowded House um, and uh, is now a member of Fleetwood Mac, of all things. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, funny, funny little path there from like the the guy who ruins the Roxy Music Tribute Band. <laughs> <laughs> To the guy who sings Lindsey Buckingham's parts on uh, Fleetwood Mac tours. <laughs> oh, what a strange path. I'm Joe Public. You're listening to The Public Record here on Radio Nope. It's Tuesday night. I'm here usually on Tuesday nights uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Um, I do my best to be here. Sometimes got to play a rerun, you know, because it happens. Stuff happens. Life happens. So there's this other weird thing about the 80s. Okay, mid to late 1970s, um, disco and funk music, uh, R&B was a big deal, right? I mean, all through the 70s, R&B and black music was was a big deal. And it was as much a part of the pop landscape as the white guys with their guitars. Um, you know, you heard them back to back on the AM radio stations and stuff like that. A hit, it was, a hit was a hit. And 1980 is kind of that one of those 1979, 1980 is sort of when that dividing line comes where a radio station's got to decide, you know, do you play white people music? Do you play black people music? Which sucked uh, demonstrably a stupid move on the part of radio programmers. Um, you know, if you want people to listen to your radio station, you just should play good music, right? You just play good music and you should knock that crap off. So you see these kind of efforts on the part of um, established uh, R&B, funk, and soul artists to try and um, mainstream their music. And one of those efforts is in the form of this this song, um, which is like a, uh, I don't know, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a great thing, but it's a thing. This is the Jacksons. Can you feel it? Can you feel it?
Radio Nope.
almost caught me unprepared there. I was reading up on the results of the California recall election. Surprising exactly no one, early results indicate the recall did not recall the governor of California. Now we can look forward to the next six months of uh, asshats, because I'm not going to call them anything other than that, asshats claiming it was stolen, fraudulent, etc. ad nauseum. <sighs> Many things in life make me tired. This, this particular one makes me extremely tired. Uh, so I'm going to move on. And go back to the music. Hey, um, before the, the what you just heard, Prince with Dirty Mind. Hey, okay. How many artists arrive fully formed, right? Like their first thing, first couple of things they do tell you everything you're ever going to need to know about them and what to expect from them for their entire career. It's It's not that many, but the ones who do always go on to greatness. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking, you know, obviously Prince, um, Talking Heads, uh, REM, U2, um, ACDC, The Ramones, uh, The Clash. You know, these these are people like show up fully formed. Like, yeah, I know what I I know what I want to do. I know what I'm here for, and they just go and do it right, and that. That's Prince is in that class, and that's that's amazing. Uh, before Prince, uh, his arch rival Rick James with Big Time, um, 1980 in 1980, Rick James had not quite arrived yet. Yet again, though, I would say, yeah, he's a guy who was there fully formed from the beginning. Like he knew what he wanted to do. He just kind of had to wait for the world to catch up to him. Uh, a couple of years later. Before that, the Commodores with All the Way Down. Um, this is the Commodores kind of going out the door. Commodores, like, high point is, like, around 77, 78. And they're, by 1980, they're kind of going out the door. And and what's going to happen in very short order is Lionel Richie is going to go out on his own as a solo artist, and he's going to, like, sell a quadrajillion records um, doing ballads that we all hate. <laughs> I don't hate all of them, just most of them. Uh, yeah. And before that, the Jacksons with Can You Feel It? And, I, and I'd said, introducing that, you know, a lot of these um, R&B, funk, disco, soul artists, like, felt pressure to, hmm, like, gloss up their music, like, make it fit within what was um, getting played on white folk radio for lack of a better term and it it mostly didn't work um because that division that like that berlin wall went up um i've told this story many many times when uh purple rain came out and was a big hit it was like a year after that uh the promotion dorks from the record companies came into the record store i worked in and told us to move the Prince records into the rock section. Um, and that amounted to them admitting that uh, white kids went in the record store and never walked into the section of the store where the R&B records were. Um, because everything had been, you know, it's like when I was when I was a young kid, 
everything was just pop, classical, country. You know, it it was there were like a handful of categories. Um, by the time I'm in college, you know, in 1985, it's like the record stores. It's it's like this balkanization of of popular music has fully taken hold. Um, and Prince was regarded by by his label Warner Brothers as an artist who crossed over. And they recognize there's more white kids in America than there are black kids. So we got to move his records into the part of the record store where the white kids shop. Um, and that was lame. <laughs> uh, what you should have done is put up a big old sign like it says Prince Records over here. And then maybe while they're over there, they're finding it like, oh, whoa, what's this? Earth, Wind and Fire. Oh, wow. Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. Marvin Gaye, you know. Uh, yeah, that kind of should have happened. Didn't happen because dumb because dumb happened. Um, and now we've gone full circle. We're back to the election in California because dumb happened. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Nope. Nope. Can't make me. (sighs) So another, another band that's, that's kind of had a hard road into the eighties and this will sound strange, was Blondie. Blondie was a 70s band, right? Like, Heart of Glass was a big-time late 70s hit. And uh, their Eat to the Beat album, um, which is a freaking masterpiece um, of, of an album, was came out in 1979. Um, the... Blondie record that was released in 1980 was Auto American uh, and had um, had a couple of hits on there. Tide is High, which is a cover. Not a lot of people know that. It's a it's a cover of a like reggae slash ska song, um, and and then it's got um, you know their. Um, why am I having a mental block on the name of the song? Anyway, it's got their hit, which was like their version of a rap song, which many people consider to be the first rap song to be a hit on the radio. Um, but Auto American as an album was a dog. Like it didn't, did not move units because, and it's a great record, which is, so it's unfortunate um, that that was the case, but like people did not dig it. Um, they dug the singles, not the album. Um, and the funny part is, is what they loved more than anything else that Blondie released in 1980 was a song that was not on that album that was on the American Gigolo soundtrack uh, song, Call Me.
And and there we have a set that basically amounts to the four women I was most obsessed with in my 1980 version of myself uh that's joan jett and the black hearts with do you want to touch me oh yeah that's a gary glitter cover but honestly joan's version wipes out the gary glitter version like if i were to play that right now um excuse me you would be stunned at how much better her cover of the song is than his original version. Um, and that album, so it's credited, when you buy it now, it's credited as Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. But when that record came out, the Bad Reputation album, there really wasn't a Black Hearts band as such yet. Um, and um, she had all kinds of cool guest musicians on there, like Steve Jones and Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols and... I think that's Paul Cook on the drums on that one. I think that's him at the beginning of the song, counting it in. Um, yeah. Oh, so, so great. So great. And speaking of so great, Pretenders, Tattooed Love Boys. That whole first Pretenders album is pretty close to flawless. Pretty close to flawless. I will tell you, okay, 1980 Me, perusing the record store, one of the clerks works in the store, puts that record on. Everything I was thinking about at, at, at that moment, as soon as I heard Chrissy Hines' voice, I, I wasn't thinking of those things anymore. I was like, who is this? Who is this? And like, I, I was kind of shy about talking to record store clerks at that point i had some not great experiences um because i i I tend to like shitty music and so like you know and and as a kid that was that meant like buying kiss records right i'm buying a kiss record you know what is a record store clerk the you know the worst kind of music critic ever what does the record store clerk do when you walk up to the counter with a kiss record I mean, apart from the eye roll and the <laughs> at you, you know, so not good experiences up to that point. Uh, but I was like, you have to know. Walk up. Who is this? Pretenders. This is amazing. Clark looks at me and says, yeah, it is. And I bought it. Uh, Pat Benatar with Treat Me Right. Okay. Pat Benatar... She's cool. Um, a lot of people will try and tell you she is not. They are wrong. She's cool. Um, she and her husband, Neil Gerardo, um, Gerardo have um, managed to do a thing that's pretty, pretty tough to do in the music business and actually have a functional long-term relationship um, while also working together and making music. And that's pretty cool. And Neil, like, uh, you can't tell me that he didn't use his leverage as a session musician in Hollywood to help make that record happen. Um, And then just faded into the background um, and, and let her have the spotlight, which is pretty cool. Um, Not, common for that era or even now 
And then we got Blondie with Call Me. Um, <sighs> Debbie Harry, Blondie, always, 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 always have a special place in my heart. Um, just a great band, a, a fantastic band and, um, whose records I have always loved. So there you go. That's that set. Um, I'm Joe Public. You're listening to the public record here on Radio Nope and I'm doing 1980. Huh. I hadn't actually mentioned that since the like very top of the show. Here's the explanation of why you've heard such a torrent of awesome music tonight. <laughs> So, uh, so one of the things that made me want to do this, I, I said at the top of the show was the, the rerun, uh, that played last week was one of my year shows from last year. And, uh, I get like email and messages and stuff and comments about that. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Okay. People like that. I, I should do it again. And I was like, but what year should I do? And then I was like messing around like I do on uh streaming services just listening to music and this is going to shock you this song is the song that made me pick this year and um this is bruce springsteen
moonstruck Romeo Sing the streets of serenade Laying everybody low With a love song that he made Find the streetlight Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me, babe How about it? Juliet says Hey, it's Romeo He nearly gave me a heart attack He's underneath the window She's singing Hey, like my boyfriend's back Shouldn't come around here singing up at people like that. Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet, the dice was loaded from the start, and I bet many you exploded into my heart, and I forget, I forget the movie song. When you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong Juliet Come up on different streets They both were streets of shame Both dirty, both mean Yes, and the dream was just the same And I dreamed your dream for you And now your dream is real How can you look at me as if I was just another one of your deals When you can fall for chains of silver You can fall for chains of gold You can fall for pretty strangers And the promises they hold You promised me everything You promised me thick and thin, yeah Now you just say, oh, Romeo, yeah You know, I used to have a scene with him When we made love, you used to cry Said I love you like the stars above I love you till I die There's a place for us You know the movie song When you gonna realize It was just that the time was wrong Can't do the talks like the talk on the TV, and I can't do a love song like the way it's meant to be. I can't do everything, but I'll do anything for you. I can't do anything except be in love with you. And all I do is miss you, and the way we used to be. All I do is keep the beat. Bad company And all I do is kiss you Through the bars of a rhyme Julie, I do the stars with you Anytime But Juliet When we made love You used to cry I said I love you like the stars above I love you till I die And there's a place for us You know the movie song
Jack's, uh, I'm sorry, that's Jackson Brown. I'm getting ahead of myself with Boulevard from the Holdout album. Um, if you're the sort of person who's inclined to listen to a whole album, start to finish, um, may I commend to you the Jackson Brown Holdout record. Like, on your streaming service of choice, I would suggest you um, queue it up Put on your earbuds or your headphones or whatever and give it a listen. Like, just kick back in a chair, get comfortable and listen. It's actually a fantastic record. It was one of those records... So, okay, let me put it this way. 1980 Me had very, very limited cash to spend. Um, I tended to be pretty careful what records I bought. Uh, I, and there was a, uh, radio station, FM station in the Bay area called KMEL and KMEL every Sunday night, uh, I think it was at seven o'clock, they played a, f- a new record that had been released and they played it start to finish and they did that for years and I tried to tune in every week and I remember the week that they played Boulevard or Holdout, sorry, Jackson Brown's Holdout album, and um, I got my butt to the record store like the next day and threw down my nine bucks and bought that record, um, and I didn't regret it at all. Like, and I tried to play it for friends. It's kind of funny. I tried to play it for friends, and nobody wanted to hear it. No one. Um, and then oddly enough, like fast times at Ridgemont high comes out like a couple years, year or two later. And there's a Jackson Brown song, nobody's baby, uh, in the soundtrack in a super key moment in the film. And it like made people cry, (laughs) right? Like he was a great songwriter, uh, apparently not such a great person, but a great songwriter. And, um, he went through a period of a few years like from 78 to like 82 where he made just made incredible records um another record like that uh song that i played before that uh romeo and juliet by dire straits off of their making movies album um that was a weird album for them that was like their that was their third record the first two records they'd been a quartet um and um they like uh mark knopfler's uh younger brother david had been a rhythm guitar player in the band and david was shown the door and they made making movies and that record is pretty close to a masterpiece um lots of longer pieces on that 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 lp um so sort of struggled to find a thing that would get 
radio airplay, but, um, you know, you know the story with Dire Straits. They figured it out. Money for nothing. Um, Bruce Springsteen with Heavy Heart. Hungry Heart. Sorry. I don't... I'm tired. Um, another friend I was talking to over the weekend uh, at the big old camp out thing, we were talking about Bruce and how his music today is just sad. And, um, and I was laughing when I was talking to her. I was just like you know, his music's always been sad. Like if you, if you print the lyrics out and you just read them as poetry, they are massively tragic. All of them. There's like no happy lyrics to a Bruce Springsteen song. The the guy just writes about pain. But the thing is, and she had a point is the arrangements and the music was uplifting and, and like epic right and hungry hearts a perfect example of that he like totally nails the whole like um girl group motown aesthetic that was a that was key to his uh his his shtick back then so there you go and that's a song that uh, my, like i was listening to um the other day and just like going, yeah, I got it. I got to do the, whatever year this one's from. And then I look it up. It's like, oh, 1980. Yeah, that's going to be easy. It's easy in a way because it's easy for me to flesh out all like a two hours of music from 1980. It's like a piece of cake. The bad part is there's a lot of stuff I've left here on the floor. Um, so I'm tempted to just like do 1980 until I run out of 1980 material uh, and then move on. That kind of be cool. Feedback, if you're listening, let me know. Let me know what you think. If you don't let me know, I'm just going to go with it. If you do let me know, I'll go with it anyway. I'm Joe Public. This has been The Public Record. I'm going to just go out on a on a high note with music. Um, this is one of my favorite songs. Like, not just, like, favorite songs from 1980, but favorite songs. And favorite records that gets kind of no love. Um... Joe Jackson made this record um, and it kind of didn't fit in with what he'd been doing up to this point. I mean, it didn't, it didn't. Um, but it was like a clue about how, what kind of art the guy was capable of. Um, you know, and I, I would put Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson goes into the bucket with Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, um, and a handful of other people who are just incredible songwriters and arrangers. Um put so much heart soul into their music um that you just i don't know if you don't like it i'm kind of wondering what's wrong with you but you know what there might not be anything wrong with you oh by the way uh the recall no votes are overwhelming duh so there all right that's what i've got i'm out i'll see y'all next week unless something terrible happens and, and next week, maybe it's 1980 all over again. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good chance that's going to happen. Have a great week. Great rest of the week. See you next week.
Music on the best station. Radio Nope.